Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Are these strange questions? <laughs> this reminds me of uh, uh, being in a uh, corporation. I remember being at um, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Maryland when I was living in Maryland as an employee. And um, I would come into um, meetings and uh, typically I thought it made sense to say good morning to people if you were going to a meeting or something and I was accustomed to that. And uh, I would say good morning but it's not good corporate etiquette to respond back. So people kind of go, uh, and look into their coffee. And um, obviously it's not very good etiquette <laughs> here um, in chapel to say good morning back. Uh, one of the other things that I remember about that um, uh, kind of setup is uh, being along the theme of um, synthesizing your faith and your walk, etc., with um, your day-to-day -day activities in terms of your work and, and, and the like. I remember heading up meetings, and I was very much used to in meetings uh, because they typically would most of my background, they would be in, in a church setting, to saying, um, let's have a word of prayer. Um, can you imagine some of the issues that come up when you're in a um, compensation meeting at a major corporation and you start off the meeting saying good morning and people say, uh, and you start off and then you say, um, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, um, in order to maintain a upward mobility in terms of my... Um, being promoted, etc. I stopped doing that, uh, and I hope that you don't perceive me to have been uh, a uh, coward in the faith, as it were. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you're so kind and loving and good, and you're kind and loving and good all of the time. We acknowledge your grace in our lives, and as we um, uh, share with one another this morning, our trust is that you will allow what is said to have an impact on the way we live on the decisions that we make, on the choices that we make. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as as um, Dave mentioned, I, I work um, kind of part-time periodically uh, over in the um, Career Development Center, and uh, I found it to be quite interesting and quite and very much a challenge. One of the concerns that I had, and one of the reasons I was interested in being becoming involved with the college, is the... Um, there seems to be an ongoing decision or set of attitudes in Christendom that there's something uh, high and wonderful and holy about being vocationally uh, set up in the ministry, as it were, and something sort of akin to being a stepchild um, attached to going into the marketplace and being an accountant or a computer operator or uh, being a homemaker or whatever the case may be. And the Bible that I study seems to indicate that uh, God is very much concerned with what we're doing, but even more concerned with what we're becoming as individuals. And that, uh, as, as Tozer says, that there is some sacredness and holiness in doing whatever you do for God. So that if you are a uh, minister, if you are a, a Bible teacher, as it were, um, that's wonderful and that is um, to be recommended and God is pleased. But again, if you are a, a school teacher in the public school system or a, uh, 
crane operator, that if it's done with Christ in mind as, and, and as in service to the Lord and not as unto men, then he is happy, glorified, and pleased with the work that you're doing. I, um, I want to ask a question. Um, we, we, we get a lot of information into the um, uh, Career Center, and uh, most of you, I'm, I'm hoping, know exactly where we are. We're in Bryce Hall, and that uh, uh, Cliff Smith is our everyday person there, along with um, uh, uh, some interns. But some of the research that we've done tells us several things. Um, that in terms of college, people come for different reasons. That something like 30%, and don't hold me to the percentages, it may not add up to 100, but these are roundabout. That somewhere around 30% of people come to college um, to actually graduate with an um, undergraduate degree. Uh, that some come to spend a couple of years at college and then just kind of fade away. Uh, and that's 20% or something. That another 25 or so percent uh, come to college with the idea in mind that they're going to finish uh, or go on to a, a master's degree program or a PhD program. And then there's another percentage who come to college basically with the idea in mind that they're going to find a mate and, and, and be married. And that's about 10 or 15%. Um, we understand that it's, that it's more like 30% at Christian colleges. I don't know <laughs> why. But then there's another percentage. There's about a, uh, 10%, 11 or so percent of people who enroll in institutions of higher learning um, in the ivory and the um, uh, ivy and, and, and brick of, of uh, these grand institutions with absolutely no purpose at all in mind. They have no end result that they're interested in. We've calculated it, and in terms of the, the student population here at Master College, what that means is that they're somewhere in the area of uh, 12 to 13, I think it is, students who are here for absolutely, unequivocally, without question, no purpose at all. I'd like for you to stand right now. <laughs> No, really. I have your names, and uh, <laughs> we're very concerned about you, and um, we want you in the Career Development Center. Uh, that, that does um, uh, cause a great deal of concern, obviously, because education is a very valuable commodity. I was hoping that I could um, share with you something out of Genesis, um, about a person who I'm, I found to be an absolute favorite of mine in terms of his life and how his life is, is arranged. And I was hoping that in sharing about this individual, I could kind of point out for you and, and share with you uh, some principles of living that, that he obviously adhered to, that gave him one of the most spectacular careers, bar none, um, it's kind of a Horatio, Horatio Algiers story, as it were. Just a, a tremendous climb uh, to the um, higher echelons of the um, corporate, economic, and political world of his day. And I hope that when we have shared and looked at his life a little bit, we'll be able to see 
that he was able to meld together, that he, in fact, that the word meld together or integrate or synergy really don't even exist or didn't exist as it related to his life, that it, it just all automatically grew up together. That when he talked or dealt with his life, he couldn't separate his life into the secular and the spiritual. He couldn't find a way to say, well, this is for God and this is for me. He didn't see any of it as being one uh, uh, operating in a marketplace being of less importance than his worship of God. In fact, it appears that he saw them almost as one in the same. And I hope that as a result of, of sharing with you about one of my favorite people in the Bible, that it'll cause you to think as we move to forward toward Call to the Marketplace Day, or week, uh, to reflect on the importance. You're not going to be able to yawn uh, during my presentation. You, right there, yeah. It's not going to happen. You've got to stop that. Well, do you want him to sleep through the whole thing? I mean, we're here to talk about uh, something absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I hope that you will be able to see how important it is in your own individual lives to not make this automatic separation between the spiritual and the secular and that they have the capacity to just float right in together, to be one thing, to be that this is how I glorify and honor my God by how I do everything I do? You mean, don't you, you mean what I do on Sundays? No, not necessarily in alone. You mean when they make an appeal for a mission opportunity um, to help people who've been hit by hurricane? No, not necessarily alone. You wouldn't be talking about the way I drive my automobile wouldn't hurt. I've seen some of you. Uh, you wouldn't be talking about how I do my part-time job as I'm going to school to prepare to be a pastor. Yeah. You, you wouldn't even possibly be talking about how I interact with the outside world who don't know anything about Jesus and don't really care in my secular job or my secular social activities. Yeah. Yeah, I might be. Joseph is the fellow's name. Uh, Joseph uh, uh, was one of the most unique characters, I think, in the Old Testament. And he had a number of jobs, and none of his jobs were, quote-unquote, spiritual, but you're doing the same thing. No, you, you had a toothache. Is that, okay, all right, I got it. Um, Joseph had one of the most unique um, situations in this regard. He had a number of jobs, he had a number of positions, and none of them um, were in the church as it were. His very first job was as an um, assistant flock feeder. And you'll find that, I think, in the 39th chapter, uh, 37th chapter. And you don't, uh, I'll mention some chapters, I don't have any expectation that you'll flip to every one every time I mention one. But in the 37th chapter, it starts off telling us about Joseph. And the very first thing we see is that um, he was a well-thought-of fellow by his father. And the other thing that we see 
is that he was asked to be uh, an assistant, as I would uh, term it, flock feeder uh, with uh, his, along with his brothers. He was an assistant because he was a young chap, only 17, didn't know anything about feeding the flock, and he was watching his brothers and helping his brothers who didn't like him anyway. Um, so he's an assistant flock feeder. That's a pretty spiritual job, isn't it? Feeding sheep. His, uh, uh, I'm going to run down his, his, his uh, jobs, as it were, as, as far as, as I could tell. His second job is also listed in the 37th chapter. It's in the 13th verse. His second job that, that we denote is the fact that he was called to be a quality control analyst. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? He was asked by his father to go check on that step, to go check on his brothers and make sure that everything was okay. Quality control analyst. Back then, he would have been called a messenger or a tattletale, but we're into things now like garbage men being called um, sanitation engineers. Thank you very much. So Joseph was a quality control analyst. His next job was as an administrator or an overseer or a tell people what to do her. And that was after he'd been in, you know the account I'm assuming for the most part, um, but he, his brothers were very angry with him. They sold him into captivity. Then he was um, sold to Potiphar, who was the uh, uh, head captain of the prison, etc., for the uh, pharaoh. And Joseph was sold to him. And um, it was very clear that Joseph was a guy on the upswing, knew what he was doing. And pretty soon Potiphar made him the administrator of his house in charge of every last thing that he had going on. And you know the story of how um, Potiphar's wife, who was a backslidden Christian um, and uh, uh, chasing after him and all the things that happened there. Then he ends up in prison. And lo and behold, this fella now becomes the overseer of the prison. He's doing pretty good, isn't he? Then he... Um, uh, what is it, uh, interpret some dreams for a couple of fellas. The guy, one guy forgets him after a while and then the king is having problems sleeping and he's dreaming and he calls all his guys together to tell him what this dream is about and nobody knows what it's about. And then the one fella that he um, really literally helped save his, 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 well, he didn't save his life, but interpret to him what was going to happen. He remembers Joseph and he says, Oh, king, my faults are before me now. I remember there was a guy and he tells the king about Joseph. They clean him up. They bring him before the king. And he tells the pharaoh, I keep saying king, the pharaoh, what his dreams meant and what he needed to do. There was going to be a famine in the land and that he now needs to set himself up to get somebody to run this thing. And the king looks around and says to all of his people, have you seen anybody like this lately? This guy seems to know what he's doing. And he puts him, makes him administrator over the whole land of Egypt. And this young lady is saying, what in the world does this have to do with my career? I'm just trying to decide whether to be an accountant or whether to be a uh, business management person. Let's look at his jobs for a moment. He was a flock, flock, uh, flock feeder. He was a control, quality control analyst. And then he was an overseer at various levels. First, he was an overseer of an estate. 
Then he was overseer over an, of a prison administration. And then he became overseer over the entire land of Egypt. The entire country. Each job prepared him for another. What was important about being the admin or being a flock feeder as it related to being uh, uh, administrator of the entire land of Egypt? Believe it or not, it was preparation. How could be a, being a flock feeder prepare, or assistant flock feeder prepare me to run the land of Egypt? How could being a quality control analyst prepare me to run an entire country? It operates like this. Joseph understood the principle of maximizing every opportunity that he had before him. When he was an assistant flock feeder, it appears that he did a doggone good job at being an assistant flock feeder. And then dad said, well, yeah, assistant flock fed that flock pretty well. I'm going to trust you to wander around the countryside, find your brothers, and be involved with checking on them and making sure everything is okay and reporting that back to me. He gave him more responsibility. I guess at one point, David would have, or Joseph would have hoped he hadn't given it to him once he got there and his brothers um, started acting up with him. But he, he operated within where he did the best with what he had available to him at the time application. For most of you, if you're not careful, being in college will become, can become, could become quite mundane. Just something to do. I'm here now. I know God's going to speak to me and I know that at some point I'm going to be vice president of XYZ company. You should, I would love to take all of you or do a little taping of um, interviewing uh, potential kids or young people for jobs. Everybody wants to move from bottle washer to executive vice president in, oh, about a year and a half. Everyone feels that corporate America has been waiting with bated breath for them to graduate from school so that they can make all things right. And typically, and we have a lot of material about this over in the uh, uh, Career Center, there is an unhealthy overestimation uh, by most college students of what they're capable of doing and of how valuable they'll be to the marketplace. Do you realize that most of you, if you go into uh, most corporations, you'll... Now, I know that you've all been working really hard and you've all been in college now uh, one, two, three, close to four years. But do you know the first thing we're going to do when we hire you into a, a company? Go ahead, tell me. Train. Not you, though, the rest of these guys. Train you. After four years of college, 12 years of uh, ripping and running through grammar school and all that stuff, the very first thing we're going to do is train you. Don't tell anybody, but we don't think you know anything. <laughs> Joseph operated in the context of maximizing what was in front of him. As a result, God was always willing to provide for him something else. And he kept building. Even in adversity, even in the midst of unpleasant circumstances, 
Joseph kept growing. Running behind the sheep, running behind his brothers, running behind Potiphar, running away from Potiphar's wife, <laughs> running around the prison, running the country. It happened. See, here's what I'm trying to get across. You don't just wake up one morning, vice president in charge of and czar of the world. You don't just take a shower and come out and dry off and all of a sudden they make you executive um, director for international affairs. It's a building block and it happens a step at a time. And where it happens mostly isn't in the knowledge, as it were, that you gain about business or about ministry or about this, that, and the other. It happens on in terms of the wisdom that you gather unto yourself as you go along the way. Or who your dad knows. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's about what you become. Joseph was able to maximize every opportunity that was before him because of what he was becoming. What was he? Well, at one point, he was running behind sheep. At another point, he was a slave. What was he? At the next point, he was a prisoner. But at every opportunity, at every situation, despite the circumstances, something was going on on the inside of Joseph. What was he doing versus what he wasn't doing? Let me tell you what he wasn't doing. He wasn't blaming people. He wasn't mad at people. He wasn't upset with people. Did he have anybody he could be upset with? Yes. His brothers did him dirty, did him wrong. No good scoundrels. I'll never play football with them again. Did he have um, anybody in Potiphar's household to be mad with? Not only the wife, but Potiphar himself. And what about the, uh, uh, the, the taster for the king and the baker for the king? Well, the baker got killed, so he couldn't be too upset with him. <laughs> but the, but the um, cup holder, cup bearer for the king. Could he be upset with him? The man forgot him for two or three years. I don't know about you in, in here at Master's College, but I talk and counsel with people all the time. And one of the most prevalent aspects that scares me to all get out, especially within the Christian world today, is that most people are right on the verge of being bitter about something. Most people, even in Christendom, are mad with somebody for what they didn't do for them, what they did to them, or what they didn't appreciate about something that they'd done. Picture for me, with me, what would have happened to Joseph at the very first point of, of, of the situation turning uh, bad. My brothers have sold me to someone else. My brothers, my blood brothers have sold me to somebody. I'm in this pit. I'm pulled out of this pit. Now I'm wandering off to who knows where with these guys that I don't even understand what they're saying. Ask yourself and think through what would have happened to our dear friend Joseph 
if he would have started at that point focusing on how wounded he was, how wronged he was, how violated he was. How could they do this to me, my very own brothers? If Joseph would have focused on how wronged he had been, I submit to you that there's no way he would have been in a position psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, or otherwise to be counted on by Potiphar as somebody who God had his hand on. Why? Because he'd have been mad. His countenance would have been different. His attitude would have been different. And he would not have had the freedom to be the Joseph that had been developing over these last 17 years. One of the things that if for some reasons, I'll give you a very, very, very distinct and very personal example. I thought I was coming here to speak on behalf of um, Black History Month. But, I, but I'm not. You guys aren't having Black History Month here um, for some reason or another. Um, this is Black History Month. We all knew that, right? Yes, 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 yes. And the ceremony to is tomorrow, not, not today. All right, this is Black History Month. Let me, let, me, let me give you a very quick example of what I mean as, in terms of being, because I want to make this point, and I don't know exactly why, but I want to make this point about bitterness and the like not getting in the way of being free to let God allow you to become who he's desiring that you become so that wherever you are and whatever you are, you have the freedom to move forward with power, whatever the marketplace for you is, whatever your Jerusalem is that you have the capacity to move forward uh, powerfully. This is Black History Month, Negro History Month, African American History Month, uh, Afro American History Month. Take your pick. Don't, you can laugh, I'm not sensitive about it or anything. <laughs> we, we, we're making up our minds, which it is. <laughs> and there are a lot of reasons we won't go into. Anyway, um, this is, month of history for people of color here in, in, in the United States of America. Have you ever considered what would have happened to African Americans, Negroes, blacks as it were, um, in the United States if we would have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ because it was being presented to us by people who had ripped us away from our motherland, put us on ships, and submitted us to slavery? You ever think about that? Well, see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so good and so powerful that I can take it with a bitter pill. I can have somebody, because as a group, there had been a lot of Christendom in, 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 in Africa, as I understand, in, in, um, prior to the time of slavery being instituted. But uh, the Muslim movement kind of uh, um, squelched it and, and pushed it out. And so by the time the Dutch and the others came, um, it basically was a heathen nation. 
So where most of those people, most of my ancestors heard about Jesus was from some guy or some woman or somebody who had enslaved me. But they were telling me about Jesus. What would have happened, and now, and just from, from a historical standpoint, as a group of people, African Americans have fundamentally, basically, generally, been God-fearing, Jesus-loving people. Now, don't, don't take that down to South Central and at night, and, um, but generally, uh, that, that has been our, our posture. And why? Because we received Jesus. And who do we receive Jesus from? People who were oppressing us. And why would we receive Jesus from people who were oppressing us? Because Jesus is good. And it just doesn't matter who's saying it. In the same context, our friend Joseph was able to receive good at the hand of God, even though it was being brought about in a very um, unique and in some cases bitter pill to swallow away. People in his circumstances were pushing him down, but God each time was raising him up. And that's the kind of spirit that allows us and empowers us as Christians to see God's work in our lives. So here we are with Joseph. He's... Um, now become ruler of all of Egypt. And now he um, has a great deal of what God is, as he always has, a great deal of confidence in what God is doing for him, through him, and to him. And now he hears about his brothers. Because I want to get back to this, just touch on this bitterness one more time and I'll leave it alone. And now he sees his brothers. And let me just, in fact, let me just read it for you or cause you to read it. In the uh, 45th chapter, forty-fifth chapter, he's now, his brothers, and you know the story, I won't go through all the details, his brothers have come because of famine in, in, all, in all of the lands, uh, famine in all of the lands, and here's Joseph, he's... Um, Head czar in charge of all that that uh, Pharaoh has. Every point, every um, little village and hamlet of the country. And these guys come before him. They don't recognize him. They probably have bad dreams about him and what they did to him. But they don't recognize him. There's no way to even think he's alive. He reveals himself to them. And they are absolutely horrified at the thought of this guy now being still alive. Why? Because we got rid of him. We told dad that um, something killed him. Man, I've been in hot water before, but this is terrible. Not only is Joseph going to kill us, but dad is probably going to find out that we lied. And here's what Joseph says to them in verse 5. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Don't be afraid of what I'm going to do to you because I could do you away, but I won't because I've not been saving up and imagining in my mind and hoping and ruining and, and hoping for the day when I would see you. 
and thinking of how many different ways I was going to twist your head off your neck. I haven't been doing that. I've been free. And I've been free because I have been able to see the hand of God at work. And I'm here to tell you that God allowed you to be so evil toward me because his ultimate plan was to preserve life. I see the hand of God at work. And I will say to you this morning that whatever you are attempting and endeavoring and wrestling and worrying and anxious about doing and becoming, be as Joseph to see the hand of God at work. And if you are going to be an accountant, I don't know I'm on accountant so bad, or a general business person or a customer service manager or a uh, uh, Taco Bell executive, whatever you're going... That's what they do have executives at Taco Bell. Whatever you're going to be, be clear enough to see the hand of God at work. As our friend Joseph did. And if you see the hand of God at work, then there's no question, there needs to be no question in your mind that God will be pleased at whatever he has called you to do. Whatever he has called you to do. And, there's, and if God is pleased, then it does not matter at all in the least to God that I'm doing something that quote-unquote is not called ministry. In, 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 in absolute opposite, what it means is that whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, however I'm making my living, if I do it as unto the Lord, then it is my ministry. Then I can know that God is approving me. Then I can reach the heights of that that God has dictated for me or has in store for me in my own individual life. I'll tell you this as a as a way of testimony as as um, as we pray. Um, one of the things that I struggled most about in my own personal life over the last five years, last ten years really, is what God wanted for me. And as you can see now, I'm I'm a consultant. I'm uh, I run a company, and I'm an associate minister at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. And the reason I do all of that stuff is to make sure I don't miss him, you know, so as I'm covering all the bases. <laughs> I don't think that we need to do that. I think that if we pursue the Lord, whatever it is that he has for us will be pleasing unto him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the grace of God in our lives. We thank you for our friend Joseph and his example to us, how he was capable and able to, uh, to constantly and perpetually prepare himself to do your work, even when it wasn't at all clear what your work was and where you were going to have him and where he was going to end up. But he was wise enough and obedient enough and devoted enough to you that at every point he found himself he did the best he could do. 
We bless you for him, for his example. And we just trust today that as we go and come in our own individual lives, that we will do the best we can where we are. And we will prepare ourselves for we don't know what, but have in our hearts that you have our, our total purpose in your heart and in your mind. And we thank you in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.